Thought Leadership from PwC. And I think the one thing that worries me is comparability. Mm -hmm. Because the whole point of these standards, I talked about the global baseline, the whole point is that investors can, can look at all this information and expect it to be on the same basis. And so completely understand why different countries are going down different routes for their own very good reasons. But at the same time, that comparability issue, I think we'll become more and more, we'll become more and more aware of it because of the extra work. Today, we're covering the latest developments with the International Sustainability Standards Board, or the ISSB. This is PwC's accounting podcast. I'm Heather Horn, and thanks so much for joining us today. The IFRS Sustainability Disclosure Standards are expected to continue to grow in global prominence as jurisdictions around the world consider adopting a mandatory sustainability reporting requirement based on these standards. Back on the podcast today, I have Katie Woods, a director in PwC's Global Sustainability Group. You'll want to listen in to the full conversation with Katie as she provides not only valuable updates on what's happening in specific jurisdictions, but she also gives an overview of what lies ahead for the standard setting organization and things to focus on now. With that, here's my conversation with Katie. Katie, welcome back to the podcast. It feels like it's been so long since we've had you on, so very nice to have you back. Lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, definitely. And I think it's great timing because we haven't had an update on all things ISSB for quite some time. And of course, there's definitely been some developments that will be of interest to our audience. So perhaps just to kick things off, knowing that our audience, different people listen to different episodes, can you just give the elevator pitch again on how the ISSB standards fit in from an overall framework perspective. Of course, and I'll try and do it as, as succinctly yeah. as possible. So um, the ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Board, was set up by the IFRS Foundation. And, and many of your listeners will know the foundation because they produce the IFRS uh, financial reporting standards. So the ISSB is there to produce, and they, they say this in their remit, it is intended as a global baseline. So for all to apply. Um, and it is investor focused. So it is looking at what is reported in a sustainability report that investors are interested in. Some would know that as financial materiality focused. Um, the final standards were issued in June of 2023. So, you know, quite a while ago now. And there are two of them. The first one is the general disclosure standard. For those who have a financial reporting background, I always like to compare that to, um, in the IFRS world, IS1, which is like the structure of what needs to be reported. And then aligned with what they said they were going to do, the standards have been issued, uh, the first thematic standard has been issued, which is the climate standard and focuses on climate reporting. Now, most standards have an adoption date, have transitional provisions, etc. These don't. Um, actually, that's not quite true. They do say adopting from 1 January 2024. But no regulator, no territory has yet actually adopted them. So what we see is that the adoption by the territory will then lead 
when those standards become uh, relevant in those particular jurisdictions. Well, and I think that's a great point because probably the number one question I get when I'm speaking to clients is, okay, but what does this mean for me? And I think the key focus here is that we are seeing developments worldwide in terms of countries that are moving forward with potential adoption or with adoption. So can you share the latest on that? Yeah, of course. And I think my um, sort of caveat to this is this is as a us talking, but things are moving so quickly that something else could happen in the meantime. So that's my sort yeah, of so um, this is, coverall. Yes. And this is January 24th for mm-hmm. recording 2024. So just okay, with yeah, that. Perfect. Yes. Thank you. So um, we'll start with Brazil. Well, well, we'll start with them sort of in, in date order as much as we can. So Brazil, their Ministry of Finance announced in October actually of 2023 that the IFRS Sustainability Disclosure Standards, the IFRS SDS, will be incorporated into Brazilian uh, regulatory framework. um, And they'll allow voluntary to start with in 2024. But I guess the key thing that we need to know is it would be mandatory for listed companies beginning 1 January 2026. And they haven't got long, really, if you think that they've got to just make sure that it all works. Um, But we know that there's a lot of conversations going on there. All right. And then who's next? So next, Australia. Australia issued slightly afterwards, so November of 2023, by their standards board, released a proposed Australian sustainability reporting standards. So these are really taking the IFRS SDS, but I would say based on the exposure draft that they've put out, it's very focused on climate, climate first. And so starting with a slimmed down version of S2 and um, asking constituents what they think of it. And it's out for consultation until 1 March this year, 2024. Then the standards, the, the current proposal is that the standards would apply from 1 July 2024. That doesn't leave very long. I know there's a whole year then of gaining information, but actually reporting for that period starting 1 July 24 is is pretty quick to get to. Worth mentioning that in Australia, reporting date is generally June. So that's why they've started in 1 July 2024. Now, as I say, that's pretty quick. And so we know that the Australian government, you know, may well change that date. But that's what's on the on the expectation at the moment. Yeah. And I think a key point here that is important for listeners is that this could potentially apply if you have subsidiaries or otherwise that are in Australia. But in addition, the scope here is a bit different because it won't scope in the broader risks with the SASB standard specifically. And so, yes, to your point, focus on climate first, but then with the specific carve out there for SASB. And I I bring that up and I'm going to ask you to comment once we get through all of these, because I do think it is interesting for companies to think about as this starts to have some modifications as we we move along. But why don't we finish with the countries? Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. So next one I've got on my list is Singapore. So it was one of the first to announce, really uh, interesting that it was in July, so really straight after the standards were issued. Um, public companies will have to start making climate-related disclosures beginning 2025, but that's more their own Singaporean regulation requirements. Um, and then moving on to large private companies begin in 2027. I say Singaporean, it's actually bringing in the IFRS SDS um, following on from the previous Singapore disclosure requirements that were needed. So yeah, 25 for public companies and then moving on 27 to large companies 
And that's going to be quite onerous. I'm going to say this for all of them, aren't I? But it's going to be quite onerous for them to do that. Yeah, very, very fast. All right. How about your home country? My home country of the UK. So this one, this one's quite difficult. Um, the FRC, which is the Financial Reporting Council, um, and they've they've set up a UK Secretariat, which is Sustainability Disclosure Group, published what they call a call for evidence. So we're going more down the legalistic rule here for the proposed uh, sustainability disclosure standards to be brought in under the UK regulation. The UK government has committed to endorse standards within 12 months of, of those coming out, of their own coming out. But we actually don't know when they'll apply or to whom and and we just don't know how endorsement will work forward. But, you know, there's been a very clear within a year of the standards coming out in June 23, they will make an announcement. Um, so the consultation's due first half of 2024 and then implementation and disclosures required under this sustainability disclosure standards. Again, we don't know what the remit will finally be in that respect. Yes, and sort of overlapping timelines as well. So how that's actually all going to work definitely seems like something... To watch. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess that just, I mean, I've I've picked on a few there, but there's awful lot going on. So I'm going to do a little bit of a laundry yes. list. But um, so Hong Kong came out quite early saying that we're going to amend their listing rules, mostly again, climate. Japan, they're expecting exposure drafts in March 24. Kenya, Nigeria have been really strong, but then we haven't heard much from their Philippines has started to issue guidance in 23. Oh, and, and Turkey, actually, at COP, they announced um, at COP that they will be bringing the standards in, in 24 as well. So some, I guess the point here is my caveat of you just don't, you know, things are changing quickly. But also to your point, if you've got a, a global reporter keeping abreast of what's going on here, is going to be really challenging. Um, and so we, we just need to keep up to date. And we have publications on that, obviously. Just yes, doing my little cell there. <laughs> of course. And the thing I think is interesting, Katie, is, you know, specifically, I'm going to talk about Australia, is talking to companies, there seems to be a, a feeling of how am I going to deal with all of this reporting, right? Because maybe I have ESRS and I know we'll We'll talk about that a little bit later, but that's the reporting in the EU. Now I have all these different countries with ISSB. I have whatever my regular financial reporting is. And it is interesting if you step back and think about it, because companies that are going to have requirements to report, for example, in Australia or in some of these other countries, likely are or are doing financial reporting there and perhaps under different gaps or some, you know, they're both US gap and IFRS reporters, but this seems more daunting because it's new. And so I do think for companies keeping up on this, but also then keeping up on the developments in terms of interoperability and how you can, you know, report and and really make this work for you. And then, you know, this isn't for today's podcast, but really focusing then on on your data so you can meet all these requirements. Not that dissimilar from financial reporting. Oh, absolutely. And I think the one thing that worries me is comparability. Mm -hmm. Because the whole point of these standards, I talked about the global baseline, the whole point is that investors can can look at all this information and expect it to be on the same basis. And so completely understand why different countries are going down different routes for their own very good reasons. But at the same time, that comparability issue, I think will become more and more 
we'll become more and more aware of it because of the extra work. The fact these are new standards as well. I mean, it's it's a new arena for so many people who are doing reporting. Um, so whether it's new standards and new arena, I think that makes it even more complex. Yeah, and I guess maybe the pitch probably from both of us to any uh, government officials or regulators listening is, I think it's we all want to put our own twist on everything. But maybe in this case, sticking with the baseline or at most adding to the baseline, but really sticking to the baseline is probably doing the most service to investors and preparers. So that's that's the pitch. But yeah, no, I'm, I don't disagree yes. with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, let's actually then shift back to the board. So clearly, there's a lot of activity last summer when the announcements were made. Then we went through the agenda consultation, which we've talked about. But most recently then, we do have that the board uh, finalized what they're calling the internationalization of the SASB standards. So can you just give a little background and then what's happened? Of course. And so SASB standards, Sustainability Accounting Standard Board, um, that have had, I think it's 77 industry-related standards, been out for some considerable time. But the SASB became part of the IFRS Foundation when it was first developed to, to help with that sustainability reporting. So why is SASB important in the context of the IFRS Sustainability Disclosure Standards, certainly with S1? Um, there is a requirement not only when you're identifying your risks and opportunities, but also when you're disclosing them. And those are the two steps. It's sort of an algorithm to follow that you um, it says you shall refer to and consider the SASB standards. So there is a requirement to consider the SASB standards. Now, as I said, they were relatively old. They were also based in the US and they were very much focused on the country they were based in, which makes an awful lot of sense. But now we've got this global baseline where there is a requirement to consider these standards in identifying and disclosing. There was a need to, as you refer to, internationalize. And so... Um, straight, well, just before the standards came out in May of last year, 23, um, the IWSB actually went down a route which I haven't seen before, which was to um, have an exposure draft on the methodology for enhancing those SASB standards. So they said, look, we acknowledge that there's a lot of jurisdictional specific information required through the disclosure requirements. Um, and they were going to update that to provide international requirements or provide their own in order just to make the, the SASB as international as possible. So towards the end of 2023, they issued what they called a, a black line copy. So they, for all of the standards, they issued an update of what they had done. So marking out and, and so people could really see the changes that they'd made it was really out there for information to help with the process of understanding. And at the point then that they that process had finished, then those final, to your point, internationalised SASB standards came out. What the board has committed to do, which I think is really important, and I'll come on to in a minute as to why, they've said that as future thematic standards and other standards come out, then the SASB uh, will be updated as well. Because I think um, they're really on the road to the information that's included. We pick up in a number of our publications the sort of the fact that certain areas are not covered. And so although the standards require consideration of the SASB standard, that's not the end requirement. And so actually, you need to look at the disclosure requirements first of that that's in the sustainability standards. But then after that, there is an algorithm of other areas to look. So yes, they've been updated. Yes, they are definitely better. But they are 
an area that's required to be looked at, but other areas can be considered not only for the risk and opportunity identification, but then in relation to the related disclosure. So um, great, but it is uh, just part of the the process they're going through. Well, and I think, Katie, that's definitely an area where we've seen lots of questions come in as companies are trying to understand from an application point of view how that process is going to work. I know we have an in-depth out uh, with lots and lots of questions in it that goes through it in more detail. But I do think, you know, for companies listening, that reminder that it is an important step, but not the only step, is probably the key takeaway here Absolutely, from this. absolutely. And if you think you know the SASB standards, they've been updated. So you ought to take another look at them in yes, that respect. As yes, well. I think that's, that's also very helpful. So next then, the board also has recently issued some educational material. I think all of us, both us from sort of the auditing side, as well as preparers and investors, educational material, there probably can't be too much of it. So what, what was issued? And, and how is it going to help? So educational material within the remit of um, the uh, IFRS or the IWSB, what they issue, it's not the standard. So it's there, to your point, to help those preparers, auditors, etc. Um, what they have explained, and I think, again, is useful, it's there to support application of both S1 and S2. But in this case, it introduces three examples of how um, risks and opportunities that are climate related, so S2, the first thematic standard, can actually have associated social or nature risks, uh, risks related to, to natural issues. Um, the examples include two risks and one opportunity. So the risks are water usage and um, also the movement of a workforce as a based on a social issue. And then the opportunity is, is that of the, the timber industry and what you might do. So they're three different industries. They're three different ways of looking at things. But what it does do is to provide insight as how that entity might work through the process of identifying those climate-related dependencies or relationships with those areas um, in order to determine what metrics to disclose as a consequence of social and natural uh, impact. And they're just examples. So they're not telling you you must do this or you must do that. But as you know, when you're looking at risks and opportunities, there's so much to think about. And and this is just a, a guiding hand. So we were talking about Australia and we're talking about it being really slimmed down climate. So I think this is another area where we're saying, in, you know, the interoperability, how does this educational material then support the, the very focused climate first, climate only approach? So helpful, only three pages, two of which contain the examples. So well worth a read. Yes, and definitely won't take too much time to go through that. And so then, Katie, I also mentioned earlier as we're kind of walking through the timeline that the agenda consultation occurred. And I think we've started to hear a little bit about what the board thinks about what they have heard back from respondents. So what's the latest on that? Well, the direction is yet not is not yet clear. And actually, as we're talking, there's a board meeting going on at the moment. So they're, they're taking their time to really spend um, periods looking at the focus of those responses. There's a lot of focus on biodiversity. There's a lot of focus on the social aspects. The key response, though, was to provide guidance of implementing S1 and S2. And I think the educational material is that that sort of same time reaction 
to keep people supported in the application of those standards, bearing in mind all those countries we talked about and, and when they expect um, to be bringing them in. So um, that's the, the immediate reaction. We're just waiting now for the list to see what comes out of it, out of those discussions. So Katie, that definitely sounds helpful and an area to watch, yes. I will say, yeah. uh, because I do think understanding what's next for them and from a standard setting objective is important because again, you know, you you touched on this briefly and clearly we've talked about this in past podcasts, but I think often people kind of hone in on the thematic standard S2 and think, oh, this is all about climate. No, S1 is really requiring you to look at all of your sustainability risks and opportunities. However, it is helpful to be given metrics and things like that as mm. you are in S2. So I think of interest to companies is, is where Absolutely. are they focusing next? Uh, one of the things, so actually I had an opportunity earlier this month to sit down with the CEO of GRI and talk about some of the work that he has been doing, working both with the ISSB and with EFRAG on ESRS. And I know we'll get to ESRS, mm. but maybe I'll let you share some of, of what they've been doing for those who didn't get a chance to hear Ilko speak. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, uh, what they have done, and this is kind of the headline, is they've issued comparative analysis between GRI, 305 emissions 2015, <laughs> if you were interested, and IFRS 2, so the disclosure, the climate disclosure standard. Um, so looking at scope one, scope two, and scope three, greenhouse gas emissions in accordance with both standards and a table of, of comparison. Now, I found it quite difficult to follow. Um, I say with that with caution because I think it's a really great initiative, um, but I think it'll take us a little bit of time to digest it. It's only just been released. So, um, you know, we will, I'm sure, be issuing some thoughts on in, with relation to that. Yeah. And I, I think related to that as well is I know there's different work being done with all the different digital taxonomies between the ISSB standards, the ESRSs, and GRI. And again, I think commonality in the digital taxonomy is one of the things that will lead to interoperability because it will help people understand that. But on that point, mm -hmm. how are you responding to questions when you're hearing from companies that are looking at their operations in Europe and looking around the world and saying, how am I going to manage this, even if there is an aligned digital taxonomy? Yeah. So picking up on a digital taxonomy point, really, really valid because um, if someone is trying to extract information from the sustainability reports, we've talked about this before, but they're very qualitative based as well as quantitative. And so there's a need to have some way of, of getting like information out to be able to compare. How do we answer the questions? Um, sometimes I say with difficulty, but I think the point here is that we want to help companies to provide information in the sustainability reports that helps those users of, of those um, sustainability reports. So what they need, what we need them to do is really to provide when I'm saying they, I mean, when you're preparing information, there's a need to think about, okay, this is required by the S standards, this is required by the ESRS, how in the confines of ESRS requiring a, a lot more than S1, there's less prescription. From a, yeah, from a yeah, metric exactly. specificity point of view. Exactly. But from a principles perspective, then working together at the, the focus that we all know is needed, which is this interoperability of the standards. Because otherwise, people are just going to get these enormous reports and, and not understand what they mean. So absolutely, we help them to focus on that interoperability. Uh, and to your point, then the focus on the digital tagging, which will come along uh, and quite quickly. Yeah. And I think regular listeners will know I personally have become 
quite a convert to the importance of this digital taxonomy mm. because I also had opportunity to talk to John Turner, who's the CEO of XBRL. And so if you're still thinking, uh, Taxonomy is something that happens at the end. It's not important. Digital taxonomy, that is. Yeah. I, I would encourage you to listen to that podcast because I do think it really brings in why this is so important. So anyway, so like I said, listen to that podcast. And and again, I can't emphasize enough, no matter which of these frameworks you're reporting under, understanding the digital taxonomy actually will be helpful to you in your reporting. But the other thing that's maybe the starting point for all of reporting would be materiality. And there's been a lot of discussion about the fact of whether you're using financial materiality or the double materiality under the ESRSs and which would also include financial and impact materiality. And so that could be a whole podcast on its own. But what would you say from a high level perspective? So you and I and many others have been discussing what is the difference between these two? Some really interesting guidance came out. It's in draft, but from the FRAG in relation to materiality assessment. It's called implementation guidance. It's not part of the standard, but looks at the different aspects of, to your reference, impact materiality and financial materiality. And looking at that, we're finding that I think a lot of people see a commonality between an impact and the financial effect, the risk or opportunity related to that impact. And, and, a, and perhaps important to note over the medium and long term. Exactly. Often. Yes. Exactly. And I think this is where we say financial materiality has the same definition as in financial reporting. Therefore, they must be very different. But actually, your, your point is absolutely on point that they are over the short, medium and long term. Um, and so you've got a much longer basis to look further out. Um, so that materiality assessment guidance is out there in draft and expected out shortly uh, in final. Um, in the background, we've also heard that other uh, the ISSB is looking at materiality as well. And I think these approaches will be phenomenally helpful because those double materiality assessments, which we know are going on at the moment because companies are going to have to report under ESRS, um, are then to your point of different reporting uh, frameworks. Oh, now I've got to move potentially to my ISSB for financial materiality. What's the difference? How are we doing it? So it's something we're definitely focused on here. We've not got the final, final answer, but it is absolutely something that many are focused on. Well, and I think to that point of commonality, Katie, you and I have been in meetings the past few days. That's why we're here together having this opportunity to record a podcast. And it is interesting as we talk through various reporting issues and look at them through the lens of the different reporting frameworks, whether ISSB or ESRS, and even throwing in the California requirements mm-hmm. and uh, someday maybe the SEC requirements, there is a lot of commonality. And I think for companies facing the daunting task of reporting, it's sometimes easy to focus in on the differences. And I know being involved in some benchmarking exercises, even looking at, for example, GHG disclosures under all these different frameworks, there are differences. I'm not going to say there aren't in the disclosures, but I think that focus on the commonality as a starting point, along with the data point I made earlier is important. But when you're talking to companies, what what do you say? I I absolutely agree with you. Trying to find differences is all academically really interesting, but doesn't help the users of the report. And so, yes, we're looking at commonality. We're looking at all working together based on the different frameworks. So if a question comes in, you know, what is required under ESRS? What are the principles behind the reporting for IFRS, SDS? 
what is California saying? What is the area that we can really hone in on that is important for the users in that context of, of different users, which we acknowledge? And then that commonality is the focus with if if there is something that is really significant and important, then we will will provide that difference, obviously. But I, I do think that working together is phenomenally important. Um and you know what we found. I, I I hope you agree, is that there is so much in common. Uh, and referring to the different standards, to the GRI, to the other standards that are out there, helps us all get upskilled in the information, so that the metrics that are disclosed are actually the ones that are needed to to provide um, decision useful information. And I guess, Katie, maybe the last point on the point of upskilling, and I, I think you'll agree, this might be a good time to mention this, is that one of the things we have been working on, along with a team of other people and a, a, a co-lead together with the two of us, is a sustainability reporting guidance that will be covering all these frameworks. And the first chapter is getting close by the time this podcast is issued. It will be being close, if not already uh, out there. And so I definitely encourage our listeners to look out for that, because I do think starting to read and starting to see our thoughts on these different frameworks will be helpful. So first one, scope, which yeah. is a good place to yeah. start. And then we'll be <laughs> followed soon after by some other important topics as we move along. And then, as I mentioned, please definitely check out the uh, in-depth with all those FAQs that Katie and team put together because it has great comparisons among the frameworks and I think is really helpful for this conversation. So clearly monitoring what's going on one of the biggest responsibilities for companies, but I appreciate you bringing some of that insight and thanks for joining me today. Oh, Heather, thank you so much for having me. That's our show for today. Tune in next week for more fresh episodes so that you never miss any of our audio content. Follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all our latest accounting and reporting news, sign up for our newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors, including accountants and lawyers.